This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Thank you. Great to be with you today. It's been a long time since I was uh, last at Narara Valley and wonderful to be here. I think I'm in Central Coast Mariners country. Is that right? Uh, I live in Melbourne. And um, not that I'm a a big soccer fan or football fan, but you know the headlines in Melbourne? Grand finals don't really matter. That's what Melbourne city people say all the time. Grand finals don't really matter. But great to be with you and thanks to Travis for the invitation. And and a thank you to you. I recognise that some of you will know little about Baptist Mission Australia or global interaction as we were or there'll be some in the building who know us still as ABMS. Uh, And there are others in this space who've journeyed with this organisation through this church in partnership for so many years. And uh, it's my privilege to be here personally to thank you. Uh, You've got a practical, uh, prayerful, long-term partnership in this church. And what happens around the world with people like Moana and Vili, who Travis mentioned before, or others in different parts of the globe, what we do is only possible through the work that, uh, that you do locally. As you step out and cross the street in mission and support what we do as Baptist people around the world. So great to be with you. I'm going to start with a couple of travel stories. You'll see I've got my water bottle here and essential items I travel. My 11-year-old has put an air tag on it. Um, I, I lose things everywhere I go. I travel regularly around the world, and whether it's in a church or a hotel, I always lose things. So he's tagged basically everything that I've got. He wanted to put a tag on me. Um, He likes to know where I am. And uh, I was recently in South Korea. I had a few days off and I got to go into the uh, demilitarization zone and down the tunnels. And you're 150 metres from kind of North Korea under the ground. And he couldn't track me on his phone anymore. So when I finally get back to the hotel, there's a message, Dad, you've either been kidnapped or you're dead. (laughs) When I replied, he realised it was kind of neither. On the screen, uh, talking about travel, um, I've got some younger kids in Melbourne and older kids in Newcastle, so I'm heading back up that way after the service today. This is my oldest boy. He's just uh, recently finished a a 12-day hike on his own solo uh, to the Everest Base Camp. Ever since he's been a young child, he's had that kind of adventurous kind of spirit, Uh, loves to kind of see the world and coming out of COVID, ticking off a couple more bucket list trips. Here's another one, another photo. Um, He told me a few years back that he was going to ride his bike on the North Youngest Road. And I thought, okay, that sounds okay, pretty harmless. I go and I Google the North Youngest Road. It's called the Road of Death. It's... 35 kilometres downhill, it's a gravel road, one lane, 600 metre drops as you can see with no guardrails, and people like my son think it's good to ride your bike on a road like that. There's another one off the bucket list. Now you might not want to walk Everest or the base camp walk, or you might not want to go to the North Youngest Road, but coming out of kind of the pandemic, we might all have different kind of bucket list trips in mind. Probably few of us on our list will have Masangulu, Mozambique on the list. But I was recently there and it was an amazing joy to be there and to see what is happening in that place because of partnerships with churches like yours. Masangulu is a, is a dot on the map in Mozambique about 100 kilometres from the border of Malawi. 
And, and uh, the people who live there, the Yao, who've lived there historically for centuries, people from a Muslim background, but where the Holy Spirit is moving in a way where there are people yearning to know more about Isa, Jesus, the one who makes all things new. And here, are, here is this village that's also got this incredible sense of wanting to leave a long-term legacy for their people in a country that's experiencing uh, much kind of challenge with climate change. And here's a, a young Aussie family on the ground, Cam and Kath Beck, who I was with in Perth last weekend. And here they are on the ground in Masangulu. And for the first time ever, we've been able to tap a mountain and we've brought fresh water into that village for the first time. And the water taps right next to the mosque and the local imam celebrating what these holy people are bringing to his community. And then the village said, we'd like to plant trees. There's no trees in Masangulu. It's dry, it's hot. And again, with the support of Aussie Baptists, we've now planted the first of 100,000 trees. We've planted 5,000. And the goal is to reforest this area with 100,000 trees. As the local elders of that village say, we want to leave a lifelong generation, a lifelong legacy in this community. But the beautiful picture, as I saw on video recently, as the tap was turned on for the first time and the water flowed, the sense of the living water of Jesus. Coming into that community as people's lives are being transformed holistically by the good news. And we only do that in partnership with others like yourself. And when I was leaving Masangulu, there was like a town meeting happening. And I had Kath sitting next to me translating, but she got called away. And I was looking at this old man who was talking to me, and I couldn't understand what he was saying in Chiao. He kept talking, and I just kept nodding. <laughs> and he was getting more and more emotional. And then he started to make this kind of movement with his arms. And, and, and he stood up, and I felt in my spirit it was good to stand up. And I went, and we hugged each other. And I was later told what the man was saying is, Scott, can you go back to Australia? Can you go back to Australia on the other side of the world and thank people that they care about someone like us in the most insignificant place on earth? And I walked back across the highway to the houses where our team live and I was struck afresh that in God's eyes, there is no place on this earth that is insignificant. And it may be the one word that you need to speak over your own life right here in Narara Valley this morning is, there is no one life that is insignificant. And it may be today that you need to be refreshed and renewed with the, the, the lavish love of God, of who you are as a child of God, and how much God loves you and sees you and cares for you. And as we think about insignificant places, I want to briefly this morning go to John's Gospel, to John chapter 5. I'm not going to read the passage, but I'll just kind of journey with it quickly this morning as we step through it. Many of you who've been around in church circles for, for many years will know the passage well. For some, it might be the first time you encounter this story, but it's a beautiful story of the difference that Jesus brings to our lives because of his incredible love for us. 
And it begins with this picture of hopelessness, John chapter 5. Jesus has returned to Jerusalem. And inside the, the city near the Sheep Gate, as soon as we read that, Sheep Gate, and you think about you know, real estate today, that wasn't a part of town where you wanted to live. You kind of didn't want to live near the Sheep Gate. Right? And near this Sheep Gate was a pool. And again, you know, don't picture kind of five-star hotel pool. But here is this pool. And it's surrounded by kind of steps, kind of surrounded like an arena. And all across these steps are men and women living with brokenness. People just like me. Men and women living with brokenness. People who are paralyzed physically. People living with mental health and emotional health issues. People living with other diseases and sickness. And even worse, the loneliness, the heartache of being left there alone in a community where people didn't know what to do with them without all the, the, the benefits of healthcare that we take for granted today. Here were people just left bereft of hope. Here were people in absolute desperation. And into that arena of desperation steps grace with a human face. Into that arena of desperation steps Jesus. And, and the crowd around that pool are, are kind of crying out and living in self-pity. And they're, they're not even yet sure who is in their midst. But Jesus has come to town. This week, you and I, will step back out into this local community and the communities and the neighbourhoods in which we live and I live and those areas around the world in which our teams serve and we step into brokenness. We remind ourselves this morning that we are broken people, but thank God Jesus makes all things new and piece by piece. He brings our lives back together, but all around us we live in the midst of brokenness. An old college mentor of mine used to say, Scott, you haven't got to look far to find brokenness. Just open your eyes. It's right there in Masangulu, but it's right here before us in Narara Valley in communities across Australia. And our invitation, our privilege, our challenge that we are sent back out of this place today as the hands and feet of Jesus to enter into those arenas of desperation. And I wonder who God might have already put into your life, into your sphere of influence, that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus too this week. And so here's Jesus, and he steps into this arena. And here's this man. And we're told in the scriptures that he's been uh, laying by this pool for, for 38 years, paralyzed. Just imagine his own mental and emotional health beyond his physical ailments. You, you, you see, there was this superstition that when the kind of temple was kind of cleaned out and washed out and water flowed from the temple, it would come underneath the kind of city through the pipes. It would come under this pool, a bit like a, a jacuzzi, and the bubbles would come up. And the superstition was if you were first in, you could get healed. But of course, this man couldn't move. And he saw the bubbles come up and people get in. He saw the bubbles come up and people get in. Uh, but, but he couldn't move. You know, there he was. And, and suddenly there's the bubbles again. And it's like, you know, the doors open on a boxing day kind of sail. And the crowds want to run into the pool. But he can't move. 
And to this man, physically challenged and living with self-pity, Jesus comes. And what is the first thing we read and maybe the most important thing we read in this passage? Jesus saw the man. Just, just grab hold of that again in your life today. The God of the universe who, who sends his son into human history, who breaks into our neighborhood. And then here is Jesus who comes to one of the most bereft, one of the most insignificant. And we read, Jesus saw the man. Jesus sees you today. As you are. As you can become. But he sees you and loves you today. And he sees the man. Senator Raphael Warnock, senator in Georgia in the US Senate, who is also the pastor of the church that once Martin Luther King Jr. was the pastor of, Raphael Warnock says, you cannot serve me if you don't see me. You cannot serve me truly if you don't see me. And the challenge for you and I to open our eyes afresh in the busyness of our world, in the consumerism of our world, in all the, the different directions and, uh, that life pulls and pushes us, that we might take the time and the space to catch our breath, to open our eyes and to see who is God placed in our world, across the street, in our neighbourhood, at work, in the gym, at university. Who is God placed in our world that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus to? As I walk through that village in Masangulu with Cam and Kath, there's no, uh, there's no doors, you, no, you know, there's no bell you can ring, there's no door you can knock on in those villages. And so you just say, Udi, 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 which means basically I'm coming, are you ready for me? And as Cam's walking along, Udi, 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 he's seeing all these people and they smile and they greet each other, they shake hands, they hug, they smile, they laugh. And there's a sense of the deep relationship that Cam and Kath have developed over 10 years in that community. But then Cam tells the story that it started with the first time they crossed the road where they knew no one. They didn't know the language, the people, the culture. They knew nothing, but they absolutely trusted God and they stepped across that street. And 10 years later, they've seen so many people. And God continues to change so many lives. But it starts with that reminder that God sees us. And he invites us to see others in our lives, in our communities, in our world, that we might be Jesus to them. And then, of course, Jesus acts. He sees the man. And then he comes to the man and he asks this question. When Jesus saw him, verse 6, and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he said, Would you like to get well? When I was reading this passage recently with my kids, my youngest daughter, uh, I've got a blended family, so I've got eight children that go from 31 right down to, to 10, and it's like my, number, my 10-year-old knows she's number eight, so she wants to be heard, and um, my 10-year-old said to me, Dad, that's a really stupid question. <laughs> Do you want to get well? Ada speaks it as it is. She tells me every day, Dad, you're the oldest father at my school. She's speaking the truth about that. <laughs> Do you want to get well? It does seem like a strange question, doesn't it? Do you want to get well? Some of you who've got long-term Baptist vintage will know the name Vic Eldridge. And uh, he was my principal when I was at college. 
uh, way, 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 way back at Morling College. And speaking about this passage, and I've never forgotten this, Vic said, what is Jesus really asking here? And Vic suggested Jesus is saying, do you really want what you say you want? Think about that. Do you really want what you say you want? You see, if you want to get well, and I can make you well, fast forward the story, we're about to see a physical, emotional, and a spiritual healing. If you want to get well, I can make you well, but everything is about to change. You can no longer lie there in self-pity. You'll have to be up on your feet. You'll have to earn an income. You'll have to step out with courage and resilience and resolve. You will have to embrace community. Everything about your life is about to change. Do you really want what you say you want? So I was driving along the freeway to, to join you this morning. That question was on my mind again. When I say, I, I want to be a better husband. When I say, I want to be a, a better dad. When I say, I want to be a more effective Christ-like leader. When I say, I want a deeper prayer life. When I say, I want to see God use me in, in new ways. Do I really want what I say I want? And if I do like this man, am I willing to courageously open up my life that God might do something new in my life even today? Because I love that line, this is not just another Sunday. And it's in my heart and spirit this morning that God wants to speak into some of our lives, that he wants to do something new in you and he wants to do it today. But you know, when Jesus says to the man, get up, Jesus doesn't force the man up. When he says, get up, he invites him courageously to stand up. And today, is there an aspect of your life that you need to courageously open up your life afresh that God might do something new in you? Do we really want what we say we want in our lives? Jesus sees the man and then Jesus acts. He says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And the man does just that. He's holistically transformed. Take the passage home with you and read it over a cup of coffee. And we see he's physically healed, emotionally healed. And then he comes to know Jesus. His life spiritually transforms. That's why in Masangulu, we want to share the story of Jesus by word and deed. We want people to understand what it means to have faith in Christ. But we also want to work with them. Their communities can be transformed. They can see fresh water flowing and trees growing. It's, it's a holistic transformation that Jesus wants to bring to your life and mine. Jesus sees the man. Jesus acts. And then we shouldn't lose sight of this. This passage gives us a glimpse into the fact that Jesus wants to address injustice. And he invites you and I to do just the same today. Think about the pool. Think about what the pool represented People left to die. People who were voiceless. People who had no hope. People who were left struggling with physical and emotional illnesses. An arena of desperation, but also an arena of injustice. And it's like Jesus gives us a glimpse of the kingdom now and not yet. When Jesus says, it shouldn't be that way. And as he transforms and heals this one man's life, he gives us a glimpse of that picture in Revelation of a day where there will be no more suffering or pain or racism or discrimination or disadvantage or bigotry or hatred or war. 
But that's the world in which we still live. And so then there's the question, well, what do we do with that today? And I love what Cornelius Platinga says. Cornelius Platinga says that every day in our lives, when we step out into our community and when we see a woman escaping domestic violence and we say, it shouldn't be that way. Or we see asylum seekers and refugees push the margins and treat unfairly and we say, it, it shouldn't be that way. Or, or, or we, we come alongside a friend with a mental health challenge who still lives with stigma and we say, it shouldn't be that way. Or we stand as a voice for First Nations people and we say, it shouldn't be that way. Or as we come alongside people in Masangulu without fresh water and we say, it shouldn't be that way. Then what we're actually doing is we're being the hands and feet of Jesus because we're seeing and we're acting and like Jesus we're saying God has called me to do something about injustice in this world it shouldn't be that way I wonder as you step out into Narara Valley this week in the central coast and as we look across the world and we see things as they shouldn't be then we're challenged, what is our response as followers of Jesus in those situations? It's why just down the road from Masangulu, we're working in Zambia with the Central Zambian Baptist Association, a small association of only 35 Baptist churches where very few of their pastors have got any formal training, where very few of their pastors get paid. But I was there recently with them. And I met them on a highway service station and over a very bad cup of coffee, we, we chatted about their vision for the future, one of church planting, one of leadership development and one of social concern because they see so many at-risk youth and vulnerable women. Zambia is already a poor country, but given adolescent pregnancy, by the year 2050, the population will double. Poverty will get worse. And here was this group of older and younger people sitting with me. And they said, Scott, we want to we build a skills training centre in the middle of Kapiri Maposhi, this rough regional centre in Zambia. We want to build a skills training centre and we want to train young men and women and older women in employment skills and vocational skills that they might establish micro-businesses that their lives might be transformed by the holistic hope of Jesus. And it was so exciting on Friday to see in my inbox pictures of this centre almost built over the last six months, funded by Australian Baptist people. And soon we're going to put a call out for tradies and early retirees to go and spend time in Zambia and to train trainers and to see what God could do in this most insignificant place. But incredibly significant to him. And you know who's leading that centre? is an old retired pastor who came to Jesus 50 years ago in Zambia when Australian Baptists were first on the ground there. And he's moved back to his hometown. And he said, Scott, I want to live and I want to die in this town because I want to see Jesus transform my community. Because Redson sees people and Redson acts 
And Redson says, it, it shouldn't be this way. On the other side of the world today, on the Silk Road, in a former Soviet Union country, there's a young family from Townsville in North Queensland. And Petra is an occupational therapist, a humble, beautiful, passionate young woman, mother of a couple of kids, married to Ben. And it was in her heart, how can I use my OT skills to work with kids with disabilities and do something transformative in this world? She's moved to the other side of the world. She lives in a country where there is a shame culture, where if you've got a child with disabilities, you kind of push the child away, don't want the child to be seen, lock the child away. My, uh, my boy who tags everything that I own has a disability and he lives an incredibly beautiful, normal and rich life. But these kids are pushed to the margins. And here's this young Australian woman, a follower of Jesus, supported by ordinary Baptist people like you and me. And there she is on the Silk Road. And she's saying it shouldn't be this way. And there is another way. And just recently at a national health conference in that country, this young Aussie woman got up and she spoke in the local language to health officials from that country and she painted a vision of another way, the Jesus way. She got a standing ovation and she's been invited by the government to help reform how children with disabilities are treated in that country. Yeah. But if Petra was standing here before you right now, she would say, I'm just an ordinary young woman crossing the street, just like I did in Townsville, but I happen now to be on the other side of the world. The invitation for you and I to, be, to remind ourselves afresh today of how much we are lavishly loved by God. You know, I got up this morning in Newcastle, looked in the mirror and thought, this is as good as it's going to get today, God. You know, your senior pastor got up, looked in the mirror and thought, oh, God, how could I be made so beautiful? <laughs> no, he didn't. He's very humble. He's very humble. But, you know, every one of us who got up this morning, if we're a follower of Jesus and we looked in the mirror, we are lavishly loved by God. We are not disqualified. We are not excluded. And God wants to use every one of us to be his hands and his feet in this beautiful and broken world. But it begins as we open up our eyes and we see people, people that the Holy Spirit has already put into our lives. God doesn't need Narara Valley Baptist Church for his mission. He doesn't need Baptist Mission Australia, but he graciously invites us. And by his spirit, he's already put people into our lives that this week, we can be the hands and feet of Jesus too. He invites us to see. He invites us to act. He invites us to address injustice in the name of Jesus. And then you might be wondering, why did I bring my yoga mat today? Sorry, I'm going to disappoint you. There's going to be no gym demonstration. <laughs> I used to go to the gym with my wife and she banned me from going with her because she said it's an embarrassment to see you trying to do gym moves beside me. But why have I got this here today? I want to finish with this thought and I think it's a life-transforming one. What does Jesus say to the man? He says, do you want to get well? Do you really want what you say you want? And he asks us the same question today. Do we really want what we say we want in our lives? followers of Jesus 
And with the power to heal and change, Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And just imagine as the man finds his feet after all those years and he stands. And then Jesus says to him, roll up your mat. Roll up your mat. What's the big deal, Jesus? Why roll up your mat? Roll up your mat. What does Jesus want the man to roll up his mat and take it with him for? Well, he doesn't need it anymore, does he? But the mat, the mat, the mat becomes a testimony of God's transforming power in this man's life. Because picture it, the man walks back into town and he's known as the guy who for 40 years has lied on the mat, but he doesn't need the mat anymore because Jesus makes all things new. But the mat also represents his past. His mat rep- the mat represents those things that held him down physically and emotionally. And I don't know about you, But there are so many times in my life where I need to roll up my mat. There are so many times in my life where I need to, Scott, stop worrying about what the world might say about you. Scott, stop worrying about how the world sees success. Or Scott, let go of that fear. Let go of that fear that holds you back. Oh, Scott, uh, take the focus off yourself and remember it's actually about me. Oh, Scott, don't, don't think that, you know, I can't use you. I haven't finished with you yet, but there's more I want to do in your life. Or, hey, Scott, let go of doubt. I'll be willing to acknowledge apathy. I'll be willing to acknowledge those things that get in the way. And so, can I encourage you today to think about where might God be inviting you today to roll up your mat? Where might God want to do something new in your life today? And you see, there's a direct correlation because when we allow God to do something new in our life, We allow God to shape us to be the people that we're called to be, that we can then step out with freedom to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this broken world. But so often we're we're, we're trying to step out while we're still on our mat. It may be today that you need to roll up your mat, you need to roll up your mat, and there's a need for renewal in your marriage. It might need be for renewal in your personal life, your family life, your faith journey, your physical life. The man walks into town. He doesn't need his mat anymore because Jesus makes all things new. Jesus sees you today. He sees me. He sees us. And he graciously invites a group of ordinary people with the mission of God in our hands to move back into this community this week that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus. And for most of us, we'll never cross the world to Mozambique or the Silk Road, but we're invited to cross the street again today. And we can only cross the world with your partnership. So we say thank you. Jesus 
saw the man. Jesus acted. Jesus addressed injustice. Jesus said, roll up your mat. You don't need it anymore. And Jesus brings shalom to this man's life. Johan Hokanik, a Dutch theologian with a very strange name, says, each and every day, you and I are invited to step out into our worlds and to be shalomatizers in our community. Use that word in a sentence this week. It's too big for wordle, okay? I've tried it. That we are called to be shalomatizers. That it's our privilege, that it's our responsibility, that it's our joy and our purpose that we step out into a broken world to bring the shalom of Jesus to others. Will you pray with me? Father God, just in the silence right now, in a busy and noisy world, just in the quietness right now, remind us afresh of how much you love us. Remind us of your grace and your forgiveness and your goodness. And remind us, as Travis has already shared with us over communion today, that you beckon us in a deeper relationship with you because of your love for us. And Holy Spirit, come afresh in our lives today. Break into our lives afresh. Stir us and challenge us and remind us of our calling to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this broken world. Remind us of that privilege, of that invitation. But remind us that you don't send us out on our own, but empowered by your Holy Spirit. Called in community, called to mission together as a church family. That this church family might be the, the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. And Father, as we conclude this morning, maybe for some of us it's time to roll up the mat. Maybe there are things to leave at the foot of the cross today. Fear, inadequacy, doubt, guilt, shame, a sense that God couldn't use me. Or maybe just for some of us a sense that other things have got in the way. And there's the desire to renew that commitment to primarily serve you, Jesus, and to serve this community with what you put in our hands and our heart. And so really quietly as we pray with our eyes closed and heads bowed, as the worship team come to lead us, I'm just going to invite you that if today is a day where you want to say, God, here am I. Here am I, use me with what I have in my hands and my heart. Use me afresh in this community. I make myself wholly available to you. Can I just invite you just to... Raise your hand right where you are. Just to say, God, here I am. People doing that across the auditorium. Whether that be at school or uni or work or across the street or in the netball club, the golf club, the library. Lord, here I am. Allow me to see people as you see them. Break my heart with compassion 
and help me to be courageously willing to stand against injustice that I might help others by your spirit roll up their mat that they might experience life and life to the full. We surrender ourselves afresh to you, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.